0: Please uh, take your Bible. We're uh, in our continuing study of the gospel according to Dr. Luke, and if you'd find your way to Luke chapter 2, you'll see a little different format even in the, uh, your outline. Uh, I'm not going to wait to the end to give a long string of uh, lessons for our life, though I like doing that. Uh, we're going to incorporate, after uh, each major point, uh, a few life lessons. You know when you uh, uh, you preach or teach narrative, a narrative is a storyline. When you teach that way, uh, you just simply don't retell the story. Many of you know this story; uh, it's good to be reminded of it. But that's not the job of the pastor-teacher or the teacher in the classroom. Uh, you tell the story, but you move, as you move through it, what you're looking for is to see the hand of God. You're looking to see God in history. You're looking to see men and women in history. How did they respond? How are they like us? Essentially, in all of it, in narrative, you're looking for the eternal, uh, timeless life principles. And that's really the value, since all Scripture is profitable uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. And so uh, to simply tell the storyline is not enough, although it's important. It's the reason that uh, we draw anything from it. And we have uh, been studying in Luke, uh, his gospel. Remember, it's uh, the gospel of certainty. He's writing to Theophilus, probably a high governmental Roman official, and he's explaining the wonder of Christ, the Lord. And he's uh, laying down plank by plank of this person of Jesus. And we've been in chapter 2 and our text this morning is verse 21 to 38. Uh, let me read that at this time and you'll see uh, Mary and Joseph, you'll hear about uh, a man called Simeon and uh, Anna and of course the the baby Lord Jesus is also here. They are uh, the ones that we'll see in the text and we'll go from there. look at uh, Luke's Gospel chapter two, verse twenty one uh, on the eighth day, that is the eighth day of Jesus' life. on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, Jesus he was given he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. and when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. First, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required. And Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you, have now, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And there was also a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then there was a widow until she was, and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I've entitled the message this morning, Seeing Jesus and Waiting for Him. You know, the gift of sight is truly a precious gift indeed, isn't it? I mean, God has given us five senses when you think of uh, the sensory of the body. And they are so important that uh, if he didn't give these to us, as bizarre as it may sound, uh, we would bump into each other and we wouldn't even know it. If you couldn't see, if you couldn't hear, if you couldn't taste, if you couldn't smell, and you couldn't sense by touch, we'd run over each other and not even know it. We wouldn't know hardly anything. And most people, if you quiz them, as to the most precious of the five senses, most people would say to be able to see and for a good reason, don't you think? I th- certainly agree with that. To be able to see the world with all its beauty. You look outside and you see the, the bush that looks like it's almost on fire with the red against the evergreen. And the beauty of this time of the year and this point of the world, the, the oranges, the yellows, the browns, the blue skies, the the mums that are, well, they're just about done now, but the beauty and the distinctiveness of God's wonderful world, to see the sun and the moon and the glory of the stars, the beauty of a blue sky or the blue ocean or the beaches and the mountains, absolutely beautiful. How poor we would be, would we not, if we couldn't see the faces of our loved ones. And how sad it is for those have lost the sight or have never been able to see the faces of loved ones or grandchildren, uh, we would be impoverished indeed, as well as, as I mentioned, beholding the beauty of God's creation. Don't ever forget to thank God for your ability to see. It's, it is marvelous. The eye is the great evolutionary puzzle, you know. You know, you look at the eyeball, people say, well, we, we came from pond scum and, and hopped out, and here we are, voila. People are actually educated that say such stupid things, really. Do you know your eyeball has to be where it is, they're extenders of the brain, all the parts have to be there at, at the exact distance, working exactly, or you have total blindness. You know that? You know that a little bit. As we age, the little when you're 42, that one lens, your focusing lens dries up. You said I'm withering up sooner than I thought. You know what it is. I never needed glasses, but now you sort of do. I got some glasses this week. Getting older. You move it just a bit. The eyeball a little. And then I need corrective lenses. It all has to be there perfectly. It's the great evolutionary enigma, uh, the beauty and the wonder and the glory of the eyeball. Thank God for it. Never take it for granted. Of all the things to see in life, of all of them, and there are so many, aren't there? The most wonderful of all would be the ability to look upon God and to see his face. Theologians for centuries have called that the beatific vision. Have you ever heard of that? 50-cent word, beatific vision, the yearning and desire to see the face of God. That's what Moses asked on Sinai when he received the law. Remember that? Lord, can I just look upon you? And, and, And God said, no, you can't. He hit him in the cleft of the rock. We sing that, right? Your hand covered me in the cleft of the rock and... His glory passed by and he saw the hinder parts. But to see the face of God would be the most wonderful thing. Well, here's the good news all people everywhere, some for good and some, many otherwise, will all see the face of the Lord Jesus. You know that? You will see the face of Jesus and so will I. What an incredible thing that will be. Do you ever visualize that in your sanctified imagination? To look upon the Lord, I mean, we'll fall at his feet, and then we'll give him a, a wonderful embrace. If you know him as Savior, welcome. How about the words that he said to the disciples? Don't you love this? I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And We shall see the friend that is uh, better than a brother, and we shall gaze upon his face. And I can't wait to do that. We shall see the face of God in Jesus. Wow. Well, after uh, one other thing, some people in that day said, see Rome and die. You ever hear that? See Rome and die? Uh, I saw Rome and almost died. (laughs) 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 The catacombs and all of that. That's nothing. See Jesus. See him, and we'll talk about that. See him with the eye of faith. And then like Simeon. You'll be ready to die. No kidding. Well, after Mary gave birth to Jesus, she and Joseph soon had Jesus circumcised, and then they made their way to the temple. Remember, they were in Bethlehem, and probably they were just short of two years. And they made their way down to five miles, right down the ridge. Did you know Bethlehem was only five miles to the, the, away from Jerusalem? I'd been there numerous times. I thought, like, well, where is this place? It's you know, you're sort of disoriented. Five miles is all it is. Went down to the temple, and they went down there for a reason in accordance with the law of God. This young couple, very young, Mary, maybe 14, maybe 15, maybe 16 at the most, is our guess. Joseph, maybe 10 years older, tender-hearted, spiritual, devout, godly, wonderful young couple. Didn't have their daddy or mommy say, get down there. You know, some of us need a kick in the pants, you know, to do that. But they, they did. They went to do according to the law of God, and it showed that God had redeemed them and saved them, and they were spiritually sensitive, wanting to please him. Well, as they made their way to the temple, there were two aged people there that saw the, the greatest sight of all. They saw the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there are two pairs of godly people in our texts who, after finally seeing Jesus, teach us much about life. Two pairs of godly people. The first pair, you obviously would already guess, is Mary and Joseph. Uh, young, very young, in mid-teens and maybe mid-twenties. The other pair, very aged. They're at the other end of the spectrum. Lived a long, long time. Simeon and Anna. We'll discover that uh, Anna was uh, uh, quite aged. Uh, this uh, this widow. And I'm saying that uh, as these wait and waiting and watching, Mary and Joseph waited for Jesus after hearing and then the conception and finally the birth and then gazing. Upon the face of the Lord, and then this older couple not married, both single, waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting to look upon the face of the Lord. It does remind us uh, as much as Americans hate the wait, don't we? I hate the wait. Oh, the red light, that's a sign that you're type A and you're probably going to be dead early. You know, if the red light doesn't turn fast enough, oh my. May I suggest you have a whole host of other problems if that's your big problem of the moment, right? We hate to wait. But Simeon waited a long, long time, and so did Anna. And you know, the church, the bride of Christ, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see the face of Jesus again, and we will see his face And all will behold him. I don't know if it's CNN's camera around the world when he comes, but all will see him. And he will know us. We use name tags here because we want to get to know each other. I hope you don't mind that. We're glad for that. But I won't need a name tag when Jesus, what's your name? No, that's my brother. No, he'll know. He'll know you. Even if you're a twin. It won't confuse you. Your retina is unique. Your fingerprints are unique. Your life is unique. And God, you are made, all of us have been made for God's glory and for his purpose. Did you know that? God has made us for himself. And when we see him, he knows his sheep. He calls them out by name. It means he knows everything about us. He knows everything. Even the bad stuff. He says, don't worry about that. I've paid it all. You have my righteousness, which comes by faith. Welcome. Welcome. And then we'll be home. We will. I was saddened this past week as uh, uh, my first cousin by marriage, Tim Shebrew, a man 48 years old, was a pastor in New Jersey for 20-some years. And the day came when God said, that's it, Tim time to come home. And yesterday, just outside of Philly on the other side of the river is where he pastored, they had a big funeral for Tim. He died of cancer. Left uh, Natalie, a young wife. She's 47. Left four, four daughters, the youngest sixth grade. Uh, his mama was still alive and an aunt and in, in us. And uh, and he got. He died faithfully. He died in faith. He finished his course, and uh, we we encouraged him all the way during those final days. Thought that God might raise him up and continue. That church needed him. He was a chaplain to the firemen there in the the the, the, the city there in which uh, he ministered. And they, uh, I'm told, they put his casket up on the hook and ladder and they drove it all around the community to honor. This man who had served the Lord and helping with those men and women who uh, were the first line of defense in that community. I'm saying to you that God has His purposes and for each one of us, and they're unique and they're different and they're distinct, and He never makes a mistake. We do. We think somehow he's forgotten us, somehow he's confused us with someone else. Some of you think, I'm born in the wrong family, I'd rather be, can I get traded over, you you know, we think that way, sort of goofy, but God never makes a mistake. And now here's Anna and Simeon living a long time, and I bet they both thought that death had lost their address. I think they did. Simeon wanted to die. We see that by his his response in the text. Nunca, the is the Latin of the first words. Now, Lord, after I've seen him, you can dismiss my spirit. Now I can die, is what he's saying. Wow, it's amazing. Well, the first pair. Mary and Joseph were the first to see God's promised son in verses 21 to 24. And their godly response should move us in like manner. Well, how's that? Well, A, Mary and Joseph were obedient to God's word. Even in their young age. ages, they were obedient in that they had their son circumcised on the eighth day. The eighth day of his life. It would be the first shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus. It was a picture of what was going to come 30-some years down the road as he would shed his blood and bleed as the Lamb of God on Calvary's cross, as he identified with sinful, lost humanity. John MacArthur writes, at the cross, God treated Jesus as, as, as if he had lived our sinful lives. You see, he was our substitute. And the circumcision, that which was a sign of the covenant that God had given, uh, was... Uh, Uh, a picture of identifying with the covenant with Israel and was a forerunner, if you will, of the blood he would shed on Calvary's cross. Now You should know it was usual for the Father to perform this. I'm glad that we don't live in that day. One slip of the knife and, oh no, Lord, what happened? You know, or blood makes me squirmy. I pass out when I see it probably performed in the home. They didn't have churches then. Synagogues were gathering places of prayer and instruction in school. And there's only one temple. Well, they were five miles from it. But on the eighth day, there in their little makeshift house or home, whatever they had in Bethlehem, Joseph took a sharp knife and uh, cut the foreskin off his the firstborn as a sign of the covenant in tender obedience Uh, to the Word of God, this young couple. It was their heart's desire to obey God in doing so. And Luke, you should know, tells us five times in this very chapter that Mary and Joseph did according to the law. Write down, you can check it later, verse 22, 23, 24, 27, and 39. Twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-seven, thirty-nine. And just look at twenty-two, you see what I mean. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, you see, it was, it's filled with it five times. They were sensitive to obeying God's Word. Listen, if you love the Lord, that ought to be the same sensitivity in your heart. No matter what the Lord says, wherever he puts his finger on your heart and life, it should be yea and amen. Don't argue with God. Don't say, well, you know, it's law of averages, or I'm the exception. We're big on that. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I'm, I'm the exception. No, you're not. You're not. We're all the same. And when God calls us to obedience, he directs us clearly, then we need to respond and say yes. Let me give you a suggestion. If you willfully can say no and just continue and no, you may not be saved. You may not really know Christ. I don't care if you prayed a card, raised a hand, scratched your head, walked an aisle, any of that. That's does not save you. If you know Christ, it ought to be your heartbeat to want to obey him and walk with him and serve him. Mary and Joseph did just, just that. And number three. Uh, I, I, uh, I have it on your sheet. Leviticus 12.3 uh, is, is where one place in the Old Testament, where it said, on the eighth day. And one thing about that, can I say Dr. McMillan wrote a book once, None of These Diseases. He was a medical doctor, and uh, after study determined that uh, in, in a young boy's life, the eighth day was the optimum day for that boy to have that sort of surgery. Now, is that an accident? Oh, that's lucky, isn't it? Wow, isn't that by chance? I got news for you. R.C. Sproul is right. Not a chance. There is no chance. Everything is prescribed according to God's purpose and plan. History is his story. Providence is his governance. And he wrote that, and it wasn't like God said, well, I didn't know that. You mean the eighth grade? day's the best day for a boy to have... Sur- wow, boy! I'm lucky for me. No way. You got too small of a God. He's great, and we're not. We're puny. He's beyond great. Now look at three. This was God's ordain, the circumcision, God's ordained command for all Israelite males. It was a sign of the covenant, as was common. As was common at that time, the Bible doesn't prescribe it but usually at a boy's circumcision on the eighth day, the parents announced the name of, of the child, and they were faithful. The angel had said to them, you call his name Jesus. Jesus is uh, the Old Testament name. Do you know what the Old Testament name for Jesus is? Who knows? What is it? Yeshua. And what is the English form of that? Joshua. Did you know that Joshua is the Hebrew form of the Greek word uh, Jesus, and it means he will certainly save. That's his name. So every time Mary called her son for lunch, you know, call me, but uh, you know, don't call me, but don't miss calling me for meals, right? It sounds like a young boy. He will certainly save. Hot dogs are on. He will certainly save. Macaroni and cheese, you know? peanut butter and jelly, every time. It echoed across Nazareth Courtyard as a reminder that he was God's salvation for the nation Israel and for even all the world. Wow. Well, there's a second way in which Joseph and Mary, their spiritual sensitivity and their desire to obey the Word, but a second way, look at B. After uh, five weeks... Uh, after the circumcision, they took Jesus to the temple as a young babe in accordance with God's word. Now, they went there for two reasons. It's a different day. We're part of the church. This is the nation of Israel. There are two reasons, one and two. Purification is number one. And if you glance down at number two, it's presentation. So two Ps, it'll help us remember. Purification, what's that mean? Well... The law, the Old Testament taught that all women who gave birth were ceremonially, that's the key word, ceremonially unclean for at least 40 days, 40, 41 days. They were unclean. In fact, let's read that. We have that on the screen. Leviticus 12, there are a few verses here, but let's look on the screen and we'll read it together and see what the Lord's uh, word says. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son, will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. And on the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. And Then the woman must wait 33 more days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary till the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter, notice the difference here. There's a difference between a daughter and a son. For two weeks, doubles the time from eight days, the woman will be unclean, and she, as during her period, then she must wait not 33 days more, but 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. And when the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, or in their case, the, the temple, a year-old lamb for a burnt offering, and then a second offering, a young pigeon or dove for, for a sin offering. And he shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the women who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, now notice this, because this applies to Mary and Joseph. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. All right, that's Leviticus 12, and that's the backdrop of all that's going on here in Mary and Joseph's life and their sensitivity uh, to bring the Lord now to uh, the temple for her purification. Now, sh- let's say it again. Mary reveals her godliness by obeying the Word of God. This tender-hearted, probably 14-year-old girl. You see, it shows that you can be young and, and, and redeemed and live for the Lord. You don't have to wait. It's In recent days, we've added this thing of adolescence you know sort of that time between childhood and adulthood where you just kind of flip out and do anything and you're not responsible the Bible never teaches that I hope that's not you and don't raise your kids or if you have influence with your grandchildren have them love the Lord at the earliest of ages and nurture that nurture that Mary was like that uh, What what's all this mean I mean it sounds I mean uh, we're, we get a little squeamish, you know. The, a woman's menses, uh, circumcision, by the way, what seems, you know, like it's X rated or something, you know, it's sort of diff, different and distant from us. There's a real simple spiritual principle that's going on here. I have it on your sheet, but let me, let me highlight. Uh, a mother's ceremonial, now remember, it was ceremonial uncleanness tempered. The natural joy of bringing a new life into the world. How? Well, with the sober reality that the child, like parents, was a sinner. Now, there's great joy when you have a baby. Faithy and I enjoyed three of them. They're all raised now and they're all scattered. Well, what joy? Joy overflowing. I saw it with Faithy, you know. I saw it once, was glad I was a man. Amen? Right? Wouldn't have had any more, but she soon forgot, you know. Let's do it again. I go, oh, are you sure? You know, and the Bible says that. After a woman's travail, you know, she steps up like Hershey Park. I want to get on the ride again, you know. Oh, man. Right, the joy of that. And then you look at it, and the nose and the eyes, got your chin and your eyes, your hair, blah 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 right you go you go through the whole list count the toes and the fingers and we all do that right we all do that you know how else that the, that little one is like you mama and daddy they're like you because you not only produced whatever color eyes and everything else and the ge- they're sinners you produced a little sinner i'm sorry to tell you then so well, do you, you must really know my child, or maybe you're saying you're offending me. You know, <laughs> a, not my child. She's she's an angel. I got news for you. Uh, I got news for you. You know, don't step outside. It's dangerous. You know, <laughs> i mean, really. You produced a sinner, and God here's here's God's point. He never wants us to forget. That like begets like, and we are born in sin, and we sin, and we produce sinners. And that's what I am, and that's what you are. As nice as you look today, and your kids look beautiful, and grandkids, they're the best. <laughs> but they're still sinners. Even my the words of my little granddaughter, Taylor, when Sarah had Disciplined her two and two years and a few months, she got out of her crib eight or nine times, crawled into her baby sister's crib, and Sarah thought she was going to lose her mind. She just felt like I cannot discipline her anymore. And little Taylor looks up with tears in her eyes. I mean, after every time Sarah prays with her, she you know administers the board of education, and uh, and Taylor looks up and says. Well, I mommy, mean, it's so hard to obey. There you go. Well, flashback, I remember when Sarah was that big, and mother like daughter, like daddy and mommy, like that's the way it is. And that's the whole deal with this thing. You go like, okay, and well, why the double length if you, if you have a girl? Well, very simply, there's a lot of conjecture on it, but I think it says that little girl is going to carry, probably, if she has children, she will carry and give birth to another baby, and that baby will be a sinner. And so ceremonial unclean uh, versus a a guy. He'll never give any birth. I mean, he's there and participates. But she bears the child with the egg and gives fruit to the babe. And for whatever and all reasons, that's the best guess I can make, she goes twice as long before she's ceremonially clean. That's what's going on here. God never wants us to forget. And it tempers the natural joy of a baby with a sober reality. I produced a sinner. And so these poor parents, according to Leviticus 12, didn't have enough money for a lamb in offering the two sacrifices, so they offered two doves, turtle doves or pigeons, for her purification. Well, that's the purification. That's why they went. But there was a second reason that they went. That was presentation. Mary and Joseph came with Jesus to present him to God and to dedicate him to the Lord. And they brought their little bundle of joy. Again, the Word of God required this. Uh, Jesus was the firstborn son, and hence God held his claim to all the firstborn in in, in the family. It goes back to Exodus uh, 13, verses uh, 13, 14, 15, and even 16. Remember the Passover and the death of the firstborn in the Egyptian household except where the the blood was seen, around the mantle. And uh, they were saved. And from that, God said, I lay claim to all your firstborn sons. Look what he says. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. Well, that, keep moving here. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. That's not your kids. Go to the end of it. Redeem every firstborn among your sons, In the days to come, when your sons ask, what does this mean? Anyway, say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. God held claim to them. And so they brought Jesus to present him uh, to the Lord and to dedicate him again. He was the firstborn son. Well, parents, you should know, uh, were allowed to raise their own children, uh, but they had to acknowledge God's claim to their son. God's sovereignty over them. And they did so by giving an offering it was five shekels, which would be like five uh, pennies or so. Numbers 18 teaches us that, 15 through 16. And here, here's the thing. Here's the point, okay? Say, what about this? Listen, it's very important for you to present and to dedicate not only your firstborn sons, your daughters, all of your children in today's day and age it's important for you to give them to the lord it is they're his anyways they're not yours have you come to realize that you will if you don't realize it they're not yours to keep they're not they're yours to raise and they belong to the lord anyway and so you ought to present them one of the tender hearted things i remember as a boy uh, the stories about uh, my mother, who had a tenderness, was saved, was married to my father, who was not a Christian, never went to church. But uh, she, my mom eventually had seven children, and I was the second one of seven, and she was so burdened that her babies would be dedicated and presented to the Lord at a worship service. And uh, she uh, was able to get my father to put a coat and tie on in those days. And, and on Sunday morning, they came forward, a couple of other newborns with their parents, and the pastor uh, uh, held or touched each one of us, and, and they presented and promised, even my father, who didn't know Christ, didn't know the Word, but uh, my mom did and knew what it meant to raise her children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And uh, she often would tell me years later, you belong to the Lord. I, uh, We had you dedicated. Uh, you're, you're His. You're not mine. Now, we know what we mean. We say my kids and my children, and they are in a sense. But really, they're not. Really, they're not. And it's important for you, if you've never done that, that you do that. You, whether they're older now, uh, early is better, but Better late than never, give your kids to the Lord. That's what Mary and Joseph, are they're presenting him to the Lord. They're saying, Lord, you have claim upon them. Thank you for allowing us to raise them, but uh, but they're yours. Well, what do we learn uh, from Mary and Joseph? Well, Two things I want to highlight for you on this. A, parents, we do much for our children, don't we? Especially a newborn child coming in, oh, you get the nursery ready, get the crib. Uh, My mom bought our crib for our dad and my want to do this for. I was a big help because we had no money. No, we had less than that, (laughs) and we painted and you put some curtains up and you. And then, oh boy, you begin to do the diaper thing. Holy cow! (laughs) Diapers after diapers, and oh my word! impossible. Well, you got to feed them, so that's the other end of it. You figure that out as a dad, you know. So you do all kind of you get clothes and you're thankful for baby showers, it helps. And as they get older, you you know, you you, you educate them, right? You got to educate. That's the responsibility not of the church, not the responsibility of the government. Though the government infringes upon it. There is a benefit to the common good, I realize, but it's the responsibility of families to educate their children. We do all these things, and as and, and right as good parents, but you know the most important thing that you and I do for our kids is spiritual. Spiritual. It's not sports. I played all kinds of sports with my kids. Right? It's not buying them shoes and pants. It's not making sure they have notebooks and, and all that stuff. And they go back to school days and down to staples and oh my word. It's not the ton of diapers, it's not the nursery, it's not the bunk beds, it's not the desk in their room. Right? Those are important in their place. The most important is spiritual. Never forget that. Never. They'll never get over it. You and I are to impress the things of God upon our children like there's no tomorrow. And you know what? You have no guarantee of tomorrow. You and I could step off the curb and be hit by a bus, and that would be it. Game over. Put it back in the box. We're done. You only have today. You and I are to impress the word of God upon our children. Be godly parents. Live godly before them. Look, we're sinners. We've done horrendous things. Everyone has a history. Find the blood of Christ. Be saved. Be cleansed. Fight daily to live holy and live before your kids that way. And when you goof up, admit it. They know you did anyway. And your stock will go up. You know? I know, Daddy. You did it. You know? That's right. And it'll go up. You'll draw them close and impress the truths of God upon them. Lead your kids to the Lord, give them to God, dedicate them, pray for them every single day. I still do every day, multiple times. Teach them the word it means you have to grow in grace. Do you know you, do you know what a pastor 's chief job is? You probably never knew this it's to train the fathers to be the pastors in their home. You know that? yeah, the wives, if they have a question, are to be able to ask the men. What does this mean, the doctrine of sovereign election and perseverance of the saints? What does this mean that you are saved forever? What about heaven and hell? That means, men, you've got to grow. You've got to grow in your knowledge of the word, so you can say, honey, this is what the word says, and you teach her, and you teach your children. That's really the primary, and the Puritans had it Right? role of a pastor teacher to train the men so that they can shepherd in their home why i only get to see you once maybe twice a week dad hopefully every single day you're you're on the spot you're there you're close up they know you inside and out so shepherd them and uh And care for them spiritually, pray for them, teach them, and by all means, take them to worship. It's not optional. Look, your kids will play you. They're sinners. We already said they'll play you. I don't want to go to church. So what? Get in the car. You got two minutes. You know? Oh, but Junior doesn't want to go. (laughs) Get a grip. Get a grip, really. Come on, grow up. Let's be men and women of godliness and maturity. Okay? Pretty soon they'll figure out, you know, like, eh, no sense trying. I might as well go. And you know what? God may hook their heart, open their soul, and you might be amazed. I know, because I was just that. I was just that. If I faked sickness, my mother said, you're in bed all day Sunday. All day. Hmm. Okay, I'll go. (laughs) You know know what I mean? You're sick. We're really worried. Mm, not Not that sick, you know? And God hooked me, and I never got over it. Never. Never. Take them. Good parents, the best thing you can do, like Mary and Joseph, is spiritual. Spiritual. Take them to worship in God's house with God's people every week, not just when it's convenient. Listen, we have an adversary. He'll fill your life up with all kinds of good things and junk. Right, keep you out all night, Saturday. Oh, I can't, I can't get up to work. Well, you lost. Your kids lost, and you don't get a redo. Have you noticed that? I like to redo. At the end of your life, you remember that? Could I get those extra weeks? No, I think Hezekiah's dead. That's it, a one and done. No, you don't get it. You don't get it. Someday, I promise you this, if you do that, it's in the trenches, and you got to discipline yourself and get the bigger picture, your children will rise up and bless you. They will. When they're laying there dying, and they're not thinking about how many baskets they made on the basketball team, or how much money they made in their bank account, or all these things. You know what they're going to be thinking about? They're going to say, you know, My mom or my dad or my grandma made sure I was in God's house, and God saved me, and I blessed the Lord for them, and God has caused me to grow, and now my days are over, and I'm going home. I'm going home. I'll no longer pick up the tools that I worked with. They're lying on my desk. In the books, I'll never open again. I'm going home. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. You did the most important thing. I'm telling you, it's the most important thing. It is. Don't make a mistake on that. Blow the little ones, not the big things. Let's move on to the second pair of godly couple. We'll do this quickly. Simeon and Anna saw Jesus. Well, Mary and Joseph are at the temple uh, for the purpose of purification and presentation and then, by chance, there is no chance. God directs all things. This old uh, man and this old woman who thought death had lost their address, they come walking in right at this right same moment. It's uncanny, the timing of, uh, of God in verses 25 through 38. We've read it already. Well, in 25, Simeon waited to see Jesus. And he believed God who had told him that he would see the hope of Israel, the consolation before he died. And at just the right moment, verse 25 and following, as he was waiting, the text says, the Holy Spirit was upon him, revealed to him he'd not die before he'd see the Lord. Moved by the Spirit, he went at that moment into the temple. Did you notice it wasn't two days later Oh, you just missed them, Simeon, you blew it. I knew I shouldn't have had that second cup of coffee, you know. I should have got the early bus. No, right at that moment, God has a way of doing that. You know, there are no accidents, even with people we meet in the normal course of life, in the day-to-day. They're rather God's appointments for you and for me. And here he is, Simeon, right at the right moment. He sees uh, the young couple. He sees the baby, and he goes and he takes uh, the young child in his arms and his hands, and he praises God. and And he and some of the writers call it a song. It's written kind of poetically. It's called the Nunc Dimittis. And now, Lord, you can dismiss me. In verse twenty nine, Sovereign Lord, you have promised you. Now dismiss. It means I can die, your servant, in peace. I can die in peace. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the light of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And Mary and Joseph marveled. This is the first that they were hearing that their son, this promised one, was not only just for the nation Israel, but was, in fact, the Savior of the world. And they marveled. Wow. Wow. Just the right moment. God's wonderful providence. Simeon took him. Now I can die in peace. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus. Wow. And Anna... She's now 84 years old. In verse 36, she's a prophetess. She's one who taught the ways of God by God. Tribe of Asher, very old. She lived with her husband seven years. Then, then, the, then, she, then he died. And then she lived all those years after as a widow. And now she's 84. And her mission in life was... She never left the temple area. She worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. and Coming up to them, here it is again, Luke notes, at that very moment, not five days later, God's timing is precise at that very moment. And she sees the young Christ, the Lord, and she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to everyone else who would hear her. Wow. Amazing. She had prayed and fasted and then she saw the face of God in Jesus. Wow. And then she praised and then she bore witness of him to all others. Well, what do we learn about uh, uh, Simeon and Anna? They're a multiple lessons that jump out. and These are just a few, as God taught me this text this week again. First one, A, don't be surprised. There are only a few, a remnant, who are redeemed in looking for Jesus. I mean, you get the sense in reading this that uh, most everyone missed him. Oh, they're probably doing busy things. Important stuff, right? We do important stuff every day. I mean, there's the temple. They got the high priest. You got all the... The uh, legions of priests, you got the teachers, the rabbis, the synagogues. I mean, it was a hot spot. at Jerusalem, the center of the religious world at that point. They're utterly and totally, almost all of them, ignorant of the vicinity of God who was in their midst in the person of Christ. And I say to you, don't be surprised as you read the Bible from cover to cover. There's only a remnant. It's only a few. It's only a few, so be encouraged by that. There are only a few that are looking for Jesus. Almost everyone had missed him. I sense that today. You talk to people about the Lord Jesus, and they're busy doing everything else, right? They miss him. They're missing him. If they die missing him, there's only one future, a Christless eternity in the lake of fire. How horrible is that? It's not my desire. I'm just the delivery guy. There's only a heaven. There's only a hell. And most people, wide and broad, is the way that Jesus said leads to destruction. And many are on that path. Don't let that be you. Don't miss him. Receive him as your savior. Number two, our, our letter B. I've lettered Simeon teaches us it is that only. It is only after we see Jesus. Can we say it with the eyes of faith? that we can really die in peace. You're not ready to die till you see Jesus in the eyes of faith. That, that means that you realize that you're a sinner, you're lost, you're under judgment, and you must be born again. Every one of us. Many of you in this room have been. He said, boy, that's for me. That was me. I was this age, I was that age. God opened my heart, revealed my sin, opened it. And now I'm redeemed. Oh, I love to proclaim it. There's a song in my heart. And if God should come a-knocking, I'm ready to go. Like my dear cousin by marriage, Tim Shever, this week. Ready to go. And Nancy Gambuzzi's mother, I talked to Nancy. Her mother was aged. And she died this week. And She, uh, she was ready to go. In peace. You ever see someone die not in peace? I have as a pastor. It's a horrible thing. It's a terrifying thing. My grandfather died that way. He had no hope in Christ. And he died, his hands turning black, shouting and screaming and cursing, damning my father, yelling, I'm burning up, I'm burning up. We have no hope that he is ever saved. I've seen people die in peace. I've had a man die right in my arms as we were praying that the Lord would take him. I'm telling you, as a pastor, I have the privilege of seeing at certain points in life, and it's a sacred privilege, and I'm telling you, to die in peace is is your future if Christ tarries and we continue to wait if you know him. You'll shut your eyes and absent from the body instantly in the presence of the Lord to die in peace. That's what Simeon's saying. Now you can dismiss me. I'm ready to go in peace. Wow, that's for me. I don't know about you. See, we too need to honor those who have walked faithfully with God through the decades in an age that loves the youth and the youth culture. Imagine the goofy day I grew up in. The big cliche was, we don't trust anyone over thirty. And I became thirty and I'm like that's one of the dumbest ideas I ever heard, you know. <laughs> you're pretty clueless in those early years, right? There's something about a man or woman of God that has walked with God for many decades. And we at Grace ought to honor that, and we do. And we have some of you here, and we honor you. We do. We want to hear what you have to say. The wisdom of your years and your godly walk. We need you. We value you. We honor you and venerate what God has done. Thank you so much. Don't quit. Keep on. We're watching. We're following. We honor you. It's Simeon and Anna. were are just like that, right? How about D. Simeon shows us what it means to be a believer. God had said, you're not going to die till you see See uh, salvation in the person of Christ. And it shows us really what it means to be a believer. What? To wait upon God in faith. God said it, and he said, well, God said it. You know, and that settles it. You know, sometimes you'll hear that. God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. Really, that's not right. Really, it's God said it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it. I hope you do. But that settles it. God said it. That settles it. And that's what a Christian is. We're called believers. Sometimes we act in unbelief. What are you? I'm a believer. Yeah, you don't believe. Well, well, Simeon said, God said it. I think death lost my address. I'm still here. Oh, please, please, waiting, waiting. I hate to wait, waiting, waiting. That's what it means to be a believer. God said it, we believe it. A beautiful picture of that. How about E, God rules over all. Marvel at his sovereign timing. Wow, with Anna and Simeon, right at the right moment, walking into the temple area. There's Joseph and Mary. Didn't miss them by a week. It's true in our life, God's timing. How about F, Anna shows what it means to serve God through the seasons of life. Have you ever thought about your life has certain seasons? You know, we would say that sometimes with our kids, You know, uh, sometimes they're difficult, and we'll go, like, they're in a phase. They're in a phase. (laughs) We're praying it's not a long one, you know. (laughs) You know what I mean by that. Life has phases or seasons, if you will. And Anna is a picture of honoring and loving God through the seasons of life. What do I mean by that? I love what Phil Rikens writes about that. He said, first of all, uh, Anne had been a young virgin. Um, She served God then by preserving her purity. She was reverent. She was devout. She was sensitive. And then she married, as we know in the text. And she served God then primarily by loving and helping her husband. And he needed all that. Faith is way down in Georgia with the grandbabies today and I'm completely lost. I'm so bad. I said to her, <clears throat> you know, with a dishwasher, I said, you know, the little soap things, I'm not sure, do I unwrap the plastic around the soap or does that melt? <laughs> I can still hear her laughing down in Georgia, you know. <laughs> you really need me. I said, no kidding. I'm clueless. <laughs> yes, unwrap the plastic, put it in there. Okay. And that was Anna. She was loving and helping her man for seven years. Now, that's a short marriage. And then as God had it, she was widowed young. In all those years, she lived as a widow. And she was released from the caring for her husband so that she could live with a single devotion to the Lord all the rest of the years of her life, and she did. She shows us what it is what it means to to live for God during the seasons of life. And so should we. What's your situation? Whatever God has called you to, let me urge you by the example of Anna, serve him and live for his glory no matter what season of life you may be in. How about, gee, God desires the same with us, like Anna. She worshipped God, and then she bore witness of Jesus to all who would... Who would hear? Well, that's the Christian life. What's your life about? Getting ahead and all these things. Some things are good in their place. But really, what is the most important? To know him and to make him known. That's what she did. And knowing him, she worshipped him. Wow. How about H? Remember, God has a different mission for every one of us. Mission for Jesus. We we get little inklings of what is said about that through Simeon. Different. There's only one, never another. Mary and Joseph, the mission completely different. Joseph's going to die young. He doesn't live that long. We don't see him in the later gospel. Mary, she lived a long time. Different. She bore the child. Simeon, he had a different role. Anna, different role. You see what I mean? Like the snowflakes, they're all different. Like your fingerprints, all different. God has a different purpose and role for every one of you in giftedness. And he knows what he's doing, and you can trust him in it. Look at I. We too are to overflow with praise and a song of thanksgiving to the Lord. Here here they are, Simeon and Anna. In poetic structure, probably singing, urge you to daily sing to the Lord. It'll do something. It'll lift your spirit. And it's a wonderful form of worship. And Jay, today we too are to be busy serving Him, as we wait for His return. We're to serve Him in our lives, whether we're single or married, whether we have children or grandchildren or don't, or we're widowed or widower. We are to serve the Lord and to live for Him all the days of our life will sight what a wonderful gift it is, isn't it? And someday the sight of all sights, and it's not Niagara Falls. Wow, I've seen it. That is a great sight. That's my home county. It's nothing compared to what is coming. The best is yet to come as we shall see the face of Jesus.